Welcome to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jones, former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization, and now I'm currently helping high school baseball players get recruited to play in college. In today's episode, my guest is Krista Stoker. Krista is the co-founder of S2 Breakthrough, which is a data-driven softball player development facility and program for those on the baseball side. I think of something like Driveline. Essentially, that's what S2 Breakthrough is on the softball side, which is really cool because they're, they're focusing on, on player development for softball players, but they're using data-driven methods and research. So not just solely being anecdotal about everything, but actually applying data and research to their methods on how to develop softball pitchers and hitters. So that's what we're focusing on today's episode. I mean, really caught my eye because I don't see a lot of softball facilities or really know of very many softball facilities. So when I ran across S2 Breakthrough and just some of the things that, that they were doing on a development standpoint, I thought it'd be really cool to have Krista on and, and help push her message out there and just continue to help grow the game of softball, not just baseball. So for those coaches who are listening to this episode, if you head to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, I have a, a weekly hitting newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle. And each Tuesday at 9 a.m., I'll send something out. Some weeks it's on the mental game. Other weeks it's drills you can do in a cage or you know, how to build a better plan or approach at the plate. So if you head to patrickjonesbaseball.com, put your email in. Each Tuesday at 9 a.m., you will be sent The Hitting Chronicle. And we've had some really good feedback on it from the few thousand coaches that we have on the email list and read it every week. So patrickjonesbaseball.com, put your email in, and you'll be added to the Hitting Chronicle newsletter. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Krista Stoker. Krista, we're now live on the podcast. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. So I was actually listening to one of your podcasts last night on my on my drive home. And in the episode, you guys were, were talking about weighted balls and softball. And so I know that the episode was a couple of years ago. I believe it was 2020. So my I guess my first question to you is, have has your views on weighted balls for softball pitchers changed since then? I get maybe it's a trick question because who knows what we said at that time, but we use them. So if that's the question, we still weighted plyos for sure a ton and weighted cell balls. So we use them kind of both for overhand, but I'll talk specifically a little bit more of how we use them for pitching. But all of our pitchers throw plyos in every day and every part of their training session for their warm ups, And they do mostly overload and then also the weight of a softball, sometimes underload. So I think that they're is a little bit of a misconception of what it means to throw weighted balls. And I think people think a lot of times that we're throwing it like full intensity, you know, going crazy, running, throwing heavy balls. And we really, when we're throwing overload, use them most of the time at lower intensities. So they're throwing like 50 to 70% effort. And we're using them to slow the arm down to let the body do its job a little bit more to help sync up, you know, mechanic changes that we want to feel, we want the athlete to feel. So we use it a lot like that for plyos and then for actual weighted cell balls we use them a lot as part of pitch design sessions so when the athlete's warming up different pitches we've found that just you know putting a little bit of different weight in their hand will help them 
either to sync up something, you know, about their motion to help them get the cut or the a pit spin that we want on that ball. Or also, you know, for some of our more advanced athletes, that little bit of weight can help them feel their fingertips better and help them sort of connect what they're trying to do with the ball. And so they'll do that a lot of times, again, at a little bit lower of intensity, sometimes in like a full pitch, but just lower intensity and trying to feel, you know, when that ball is cutting off the hands to help them try to do something different on the ball. So we use plyos versus weighted cell balls a little bit. There is a time that you might come into our facility and see someone throwing a five ounce cell ball and running and throwing and trying to go for velocity. But I would say those are more limited you know, more advanced kids that have really clean patterns that we're just really trying to speed up the velo process a little bit. So when you're when you're having the players do the weighted balls, you're you're having them throw overhand or are you doing it underhand too? Since obviously if they're pitching it they're Yeah. Pitching. Underhand. So they'll do the pitching motion. So we have overhand throwing programs too and they do they certainly do them in those too. But for all of our pitchers are throwing they're you know they're starting in different start types and different ways. And you know, just like you would see a baseball pitcher throwing from you know, 10 feet, 15 feet away from the wall, our softball pitchers will do the same in their pitching motion. And they're really, like I said, working on some different timing things. So, you know, a lot of times our athletes who really like lead with the chest or they do different things, weighting their, what they're throwing will help kind of think that up a little bit more and help them feel some change that they're trying to make. So we have athletes a lot of times throw pitchers, throw one pound would be it's typically the heaviest we throw is a one pound. The softball is seven ounces. So we'll do one pound, like an eight ounce, nine ounce, somewhere in there. And then the weight, the seven ounce, they'll also throw. Has there been any studies on, on how the effect of that on, on like arm health? Like I know in baseball, there's a lot of studies, but it's, it's a different motion just because your, your hand is so much further away from, yeah. from your shoulder. Have you seen any studies or, or have you, you guys done any on that? I think we just, you know, we have at, at this point some experience, you know, data, no formal study yet, although uh, Laura's- Not that it matters. Work. I mean, honestly, yes. a lot of studies are just- No, totally. Laura's into stuff with UNO, so I'm sure that that's you know, a path that we will go eventually is kind of doing some of our, our training protocols. But people ask us all the time if, you know, if anyone has any arm health issues, and I'll say like, we- there is an occasional person who should not throw a weighted ball as with anything because they have, you know, our big thing in softball pitching is that the lat really shortens because of where they're going overhead in the pitching motion. And so if we have someone with like severe lat issues, then trying to throw a one pound, especially sometimes they get like a weight from their body and their motion or they do different things will just cause them discomfort, which obviously then doesn't have a bit, you know, a benefit for us anyway. So there's certainly circumstances like that, that we have seen not injuries, but discomfort in doing something like that. But for the most part, our athletes that are on programs have less pain than people that come on the outside. We're using it to clean out mechanics. They really shouldn't, like I said, they're not throwing full. Their mechanics usually look better when we're videoing them and, and thinking them when they're throwing the heavier balls. And so I think just, you know, from our experience, we have every single athlete that trains with us before every training program, they fill out a wellness questionnaire. And part of that is arm pain, general pain, soreness, things like that. So we have a lot of in response from our athletes on how they're responding to the training programs. And I think that's really important with any training program we're doing. If done incorrectly or without any oversight, you can always have some things like that. But I think from our experience, we've been throwing plyos as an everyday part of our program now for since 2019, probably even into 2018. And we haven't had I mean, if everyone said positive and the, then 
no like negative things from that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think plyos, it's not solely just to try to increase velocity. I mean, I actually yeah. use plyos, I'd say four or five days a week myself. It helps clean out my own arm pattern. So when I throw it up yeah. there, I'm, I'm not literally an iron mic every time. I mean, yeah. I'm starting. So, and there's a lot of coaches out there who, who use plyos regularly too. So it's, it's, I, I'm surprised that I, I don't hear about more softball pitchers using plyo balls to increase velocity because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but on the, ba on, at least on the baseball side, which is where I have more experience, if you're in high school and you don't throw very hard, like we need to do something, right? Because we're on a time, there's a, there's a clock and mm -hmm. like, you only have so much time. And so we, you have to be able to throw a certain miles an hour to, to get seen, to get recruited. And I assume it's the same thing on the softball side too. So is it something that you'll implement for players who need to increase velocity now? Yeah. I mean, we do, every single person does plyo. So regardless of what your focus is on, it just helps clean up their patterns. So whether that's you clean up your patterns, because we don't really like separate, hopefully, you know, everything increases with it but generally if you're cleaning up patterns you're either trying to increase below of course i mean most of us have that goal i, I we don't have too many people that walk in the door right now as a subtle pitcher and it's like nope your velo is perfect we're going for something else so most people are trying to increase below but in addition to that cleaning up your patterns for supple you know we're just having this conversation at nfca with a, a baseball sort of front office person just talking about there's a big difference in how you create spin versus a baseball pitcher and a softball pitcher because if you think of like arm slot and baseball you're way up here you know you're sort of outside and it's about layback and the timing you can really just like change your finger position and that is you can't do that in softball you're coming you know external rotation of the shoulder becomes really important in softball and what that does is think up like what's going to be last which that concept is similar, but there's only so much you can do with your arm position in softball pitching. And so we're trying to sync up the arm slot, clean up where the arm slot is to allow different directions on the ball. So plyos help that. So there's, you know, people ask us a lot of times, like, when am I going to work on spin? Because in softball pitching, what you'll see, if you walk around the field, you might see someone doing wrist snaps, like little things. They're throwing footballs. They're throwing big 16-inch balls. And they're doing all of these things with the wrist. And what we found with high speed and sensors and all of the data we have is like, that is not how you create spin and sell ball. Your wrist is never isolated like that. It's about the timing of where your arm slot gets here and where the arm slot gets here allows what then happens here and whether you can delay or change the time of when you cut on the ball will cause back spin, top spin, some horizontal spin. So it's really a different concept. And so mechanics patterns become really important for velo increases change of direction, all of that. And so, you know, we give them to everyone. Every single athlete that walks in our door does them. And I think it's for, yes, for below. And I think the conversation still exists that you're saying that, you know, you really have to sort of top, top level of our game is like, you need to be hitting 65, you know, pretty regularly. And so there's a certain element of, of below that's really important. And then on top of that, if you're throwing, what we're seeing more of now is that we have pitchers who throw 65, the 68 at that top level of the game, but they, you know, it just, it's really flat or has bullet spin. And, and for us and all their pitches have that same spin. So it doesn't break a lot. And so then you're talking about, okay, you can generate a lot of velocity, but how do we create different spin directions on the ball? So again, I think plyos help clean up patterns and patterns 
but probably are very tied to the spin charts in baseball. I think even more because of how much our arm slot plays into what we can access. You know, you can only get a certain spin direction if you can't access a different arm slot, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. What uh, What's your background? Like, I know I, I heard you started S2, I think you said, well, I believe I heard you say 2012. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> a long time <laughs> ago. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious to hear about your background. Yeah, sure. So I played softball at Wash U in St. Louis, so Division three, and never intended to coach. I was a pre-law political science degree there. I went to law school at University of Chicago. And while I was there, I was the assistant coach of the undergrad team. And I met my business partner, Ashley Sunshine, Ashley Tobar at the time. She was at moved to Chicago to sort of move to the same city as her now husband, but she was planning to go to uh, medical school. So she was working at the labs at VOC and also then decided I should coach. And so we ended up my second year at University of Chicago coaching together there. So we had played against each other. She went to Emory and we were the same year. So we were rivals. And so I knew of her, but that was the first time really meeting her. And we just got to talking and realized we couldn't step away from the game. So we started coaching on the side. So in 2012, when we opened you initially, I was a lawyer, full-time a corporate lawyer, and we just decided to see what it looked like to do this on the side. And eventually we just decided, you know, I had some hard conversations with my family about I'm going to quit to be a lawyer and open a facility. And we opened the facility. So I think that was our sort of like first act. What I will say is that we opened a pretty traditional lesson model at the time. Ashley got her master's in kinesiology. So we had strength and conditioning. We had some idea that there should be something beyond just like the skill coach and lessons, but we never really quite knew what it was. And I think at the time we were always searching for where our role was in the game because we just, you know, we were travel ball coaches. We were, we gave lessons and we couldn't quite feel like we were having the effect on the athletes that we wanted to, or being able to give them what we thought we could give them. And so I think right around 2018, 2017, when baseball started, you know, getting more heavily into data, you know, our backgrounds are academic and we were super interested in it and always learning. I think we just started asking some questions of why doesn't this exist in softball and why aren't we doing this? And the biggest hole at the time was double pitching. So while we do hitting and we do a lot of things, we went kind of all in on let's learn about softball pitching and let's, you know, kind of go all in on that. So we hired Laura. She was a professor at a university here. She did her dissertation on softball pitching. And so we just started putting some like really unique pieces together. And we laugh all the time because the day before Laura's first day, we sat Ashley and I sat in the office and we were like, what? What is her job here? We didn't, it's not like we had some like grand plan for what a scientist was going to do at our facility, but we sort of all together built this model, which is really just, you know, we started with what is, what does it mean to be a good softball pitcher? What does it mean to be a good double hitter? And then how do we make people believe that they can get there by, you know, using methods and plans and assessments that help them see that path. And so that I would say is our second act and one that we're super excited about and, and kind of fits more of who we are and who our team is. So, so what's it, what's it like if I wanted to work, like, like if I was a player, wanted to, wanted to work with you, like what's, what's the process typically like? Sure. Everyone starts with an assessment. And so even our remote athletes, as of now, we'll see if we can get some of the tech to travel a little easier eventually, but everyone starts in person at our facility and they do our full assessment. So our assessment is 
we'll go over a health and history report that they fill out, talk through any like past injuries or anything that they're sort of bringing into training. And then we'll do our mobility and movement capacity portion, which is based on a lot of assessments that you might have seen, but we've sort of over the years, you know, take built in different exercises we think are important, but really tried to match it as close as we could to double pitching and hitting. So we do that part of the assessment. We do some power numbers outside of the skill, and then they'll get into the skill and they'll measure their pitcher. They'll measure all their pitches on RepSoto to get ball flight data with the inside camera. So with hand positioning, and then we'll do sensors, wearable sensors. And that's really similar for hitting. They'll do ball flight data, blast sensor, wearable sensors for a few swings. And really we're just, then we'll sit down with all the athletes and tell them that story. We call that like our storytelling session. We laugh because I think in softball for so long, people, you know, they feel like I'm not getting better and I'm trying so hard. I'm doing all the work and I'm just like banging my head against the wall. And I think those sessions can be really powerful. We've had people cry in them. Like it's, it just feels like they feel seen, you know, and they feel like, like that. I get it. Like there's a, I understand my, my story now. So we'll start with performance. So here you are. I'm just going to talk pitching for a second, but like, here you are as a pitcher. Here's what you do well. Here's the spin directions you throw. Here's the velo you throw. Here's how it compares to different levels that we've tested at this point. And then here, based on your biomechanics are why this might be true. You only have top spin because this is the only arm slot you can access. And here's why that might be true based on your load. And then based on, okay, we can see that your load does this because your movement only allows X, Y, Z. And so they sort of see that whole story. So that's how everyone starts. And then obviously from that, then once they sort of know that story, that's how all of our training plans are, are written. So we start kind of where that athlete is and the goals that they have. And we write four-week programs. So they keep going on four-week blocks. And that includes both strength and conditioning and their skill programming. So you mentioned power numbers. I know, for example, like on base, you has like the power test where it's a sit up and throw at the medicine ball. That's yep. Just, is it something similar to that? Yeah, so we've gone through a, free, a few iterations to see what ties closer where we are right now. And I will say this is something that is uh, constantly in discussions with our strength coach and with us of of what ties most. What we started with was the test pass, which you might have seen. I think TPI does that one. The sit, the one you're referring to, the sort of chunk throw, a vertical jump and a 60-foot sprint, which is our home to first. And what we found is that the trunk throw has a lot of correlation. I do a lot of our hitting. I found it has a ton of correlation to exit velo and their sort of ability to be able to tap into rotational power. So that one's in there. We got rid of the test pass because none of us found it super helpful for the skill portion. And we got rid of vertical jump as part of that part of our assessment, although we use it in like our strength and conditioning training. And we went to a broad jump, which has had so far more correlation, the power and velo that our athletes are allowed, that can generate. And we got rid of the sprint, not because it's not important, but we do it in our training and it's just not, it's not an important measurement for that first story. So right now in its current iteration, there is a trunk throw and a broad jump, both counter movement and no counter movement. And we shall see if that is what remains, but that is the current, our current best educated guess on what correlates to their ability to get below. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, I, I assume it was something similar to that, but I just wanted to just clarify why, why do you think that there's not more of you guys out there in the softball? I think one, it's hard. And I think, you know, I think it's not knowing. I think there's a lot of people trying to do it. A lot of amazing people trying to do it in their like lane. I think what is unique about us is that we've built this team that, that sort of bridges a lot of gaps. So we have Laura who can come from the science side and also is an athletic trainer. So can talk to us about injuries and, and can bridge that gap. We have. Carly, who's just, 
yes, she's a strength and conditioning coach, but she's a brilliant mind when it comes to anatomy and how she sees strength and conditioning, which really ties is like another skill coach instead of, you know, this sort of separate siloed thing. So I think, I think there's two reasons, I guess. I think one is it took us a lot of humility to get here because we changed everything we did once we started learning more. And so I think that there's an element of that that's very scary. And there were definitely months early in this journey that was like, you know, we would look back to athletes and be like, I really messed that athlete up. You know, I was like really going down the wrong path. And I think that that's a scary thing to face as a coach and you have to sort of be willing and and want to do that. So I think that's one hurdle that people face. And I think the other is this feeling like, how could I do something like that? And which is where I think we've really tried in the past year to become more of a resource, to become an extension of what people do. We do a lot of consulting with colleges now where we offer sort of our ideas of how they can build these staffs, you know, that are more player development minded. So I think it's getting there, but I think that's one hurdle. I think the other hurdle, and I think you and I talked a little bit about this at NFCA, but I don't think people are investing in softball as much as they are in baseball. And and we can all say that there's MLB at the end of it and, and I get economics and how that works. But I think there's been a lot of, we don't have a ton of tech. So yes, it exists, but there's just not, not every tech company is in the softball space and not every data partner that you could work with on the baseball side is investing in the same way in softball. And so there's some limitations to what we can do right now. And we're working to sort of break through those and bring everyone in. But I think that that creates another hurdle too, is just there's not quite as many solutions in that sort of space in softball as there are in baseball. Which is kind of crazy to me because it seems that the, the game, at least at the travel ball level, amateur level, just continues to grow every single yeah. year. Yeah, for sure. We always say like we've seen no, no barriers into what families will do for their athlete to become the best you can be. So I think that there's just sort of proving that model has been something really important to us. So, you know, these athletes want these things. And I think what's becoming more common, which I'm totally here for, is athletes going to the college programs or going to that next stage and saying like, you know, where's the rep soto? How do you use data? How, what's my program going to look like? How am I going to get better? And they're asking questions like that and sort of demanding things like that. And so you can say what you want about the transfer portal and it certainly has issues and problems, but being able to say, ask those questions and if they don't get the answers that they want or they get the answers they want, but then that doesn't come to reality when they get there, I think that there are options for them. So I think that that will, I think the athletes will start to push it more because, you know, they want to feel like I can keep getting better and I can keep growing and I have avenues to do that. Uh, I don't know if you have any any kids or any you know, daughter or anything, but one of the what questions I sometimes will ask myself or just think about is, you know, if I had a kid, what what would I have them doing at a young age if they wanted to to play a certain sport? So if like if you had a let's just say if you had a daughter daughter who's eight, ten, twelve years old, what would be some of the things that you would have her focusing on so she could reach her potential when she's you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen? Sure, I have two sons, so but yeah, I. I think one thing, the very first thing I'd say is bring her to watch the game. It's everywhere. There's so many avenues to get excited about the game, to love the game. It's on TV constantly now. There's tournaments starting in January for college. There's Athletes Unlimited. There's the Women's Professional Bastage League. Like There's so many opportunities for them to see it. What surprises me often when we have some of our older athletes, and I'll say like, are you watching the World Series? And they aren't, or they don't know who these people are, or 
there's just not this passion around the game. So I think the very first thing at that age is to make them actually love the game. And I think that that's much easier now than ever before. There's so many opportunities to follow and watch and have, you know, fangirl over the athletes and, and those types of things. So I think that's the very first thing I would suggest is for parents to be equally as invested in that part of it to go give them opportunities to see these athletes play. And then I think after that, when we're talking eight and 10, most female athletes haven't hit puberty then. So I think at that point, you're just really trying to be athletic and to not get stuck in anything, to play multiple sports, to, you know, really simple pitching type. If you want to be a pitcher, really simple pitching type things, not overdo it, not go crazy at the younger ages, which is hard because you have to fight a little bit of what everyone's doing. But I think try to build the love and the the desire to want to show up and want to come back. Because when you hit that 16, 17, 18, it's a lot of work. And so if you don't, at the root of it, love it and want to put that work into it, I think that's really where athletes fall off. So I think keep it, yeah, light, keep it about loving the game. I think that that's what I would say at those ages. And then I think when you get into that, like 12, 13, 14 is starting to think about putting yourselves in scenarios where you can develop and not be overused, which we see a lot of times it's helpful to compete at a high level, sure, but not at the expense of your body and sort of being overthrown so that you, you know, don't hit that cap later. I think one of the things that I, I just tweeted it because it's so impactful for me, but we were talking to a baseball coach and he said, or a baseball professional, and he said, we look at guys all the time and if they're throwing 92, we're like simple. We can get them to 95, like no brainer. Just clean up a few things, get them the right strength and conditioning program, like get them on nutrition. Like, so that part is easy. And so then you start to look at what's the, what's the pitch they have or what's that sort of like, maybe they could just throw this particular pitch in this particular moment and that we can use them. And he said it just so nonchalant. And I think one of the things our game has run into is we're talking in most cases about teenage girls and we look at them at 16 and we're like, does she already throw 68? Does she already do these things? Is she a finished product? Because that's who I want to recruit. And I think that concept has to go away for us to keep growing the game. And so I think in order for our athletes to love the game and to do the right thing at the young ages, they cannot feel like they're clocked. They're racing to 15. <laughs> Yeah. Because what you're trying to get them at is their best by 22. And so if you start seeing it as that, and hopefully eventually their best at, you know, 30, their best at whatever, you know, the older ages. But if you see it like that, then at the younger ages, you're just trying to preserve. You're not trying to race to be low or race to certain things because that's just a race to puberty. If we really look at it, which is like all the people that hit puberty early are going to like shine early. And then we're going to hurt them. And then whoever's left behind becomes our athletes. And I think that that's a really, really messed up cycle that we're in. And we have to really think through that. Should coaches be concerned at all with pitch counts for softball pitchers? Yeah, we get this question a lot. I mean, there's 100, there's a lot of injuries. I think it, I need to find the actual percentage because people ask this, but at least 50% of the people that come to S2 come because they're injured, mm -hmm. coming back from an injury, have pain. You know, they have things because it's not in the MLB where we see it all the time or like some stays I think we don't talk about as much. It's not Tommy John's. And what we see most of the time is a lot of stress fractures in the back. And that's probably the most common thing that we see in subball pitchers. Uh, a lot of pars fractures, sort of like L5 area hip issues. So all the way, like the worst case would be, you know, an actual labral tear. But I think just, you know, hip 
pain, hip issues, and then sometimes labral tears, forearm pain. Like there are certainly times that it gets to the arm, but we see it more in the sort of hip and back. And so I think, you know, we have a lot of athletes that come in their 13, 14, and they're recovering from a stress fracture. So I think that there's an element of overuse. And I don't know that pitch counts are exactly the answer because I think it's also about how long they play all year games and they're never really developing and they're never really training and they don't know good concepts about rest. Even when they're not pitching too much of the tournament, they think they should be training every day. And so I think that there's a lot that feeds into that culture. I think being aware of pitch counts and starting to have that conversation is a great place to start thinking about you know, this, I could to 18 year team. And so we, our first tournament, no one threw above 40 pitches, you know, in a outing. And then we had like, I think that tournament we did under a hundred on a weekend. And then, you know, we slowly built up and even my pitchers knowing that and starting to have conversations around, like, I'm going to get pulled when I get to that pitch count and that's okay. And here's the types of things that we're building towards the pitch counts were maybe a little arbitrary at that point. Cause I don't know that we like fully know, but I think that that's the right And I think it's starting to become more talked about because college coaches are getting hurt staffs. Um, And so a big reason that we then come out to colleges because they're like, I have six pitchers, but four are hurt. And if I don't use this star, right, she's never going to throw. And I think that there's people are starting to see it and, and talk about it a lot more. But it's a big, I mean. I would say it's a pretty massive issue in the sport. So I don't know if pitch counts, like I said, is the right, I think in the same way that baseball argues about whether pitch counts make sense and what's the pitch count that makes sense. But I think it's just like, like having in, any conversation about it. Right, right. I find like in baseball, especially at the younger levels, travel ball, I mean, they, they are, there are certain rules in the sense that if you pitch one day and you throw a certain amount of pitches, you can't come back until three or four days. Yeah, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you can throw. I mean, we have pitchers who throw every inning of a tournament. So they'll throw six games. Six games. I mean, I yes. face, we faced a team last year, my team did, and that their pitcher on the last day of this big tournament threw three. We had seven innings, but three, seven inning games back, back, back. So she threw 21 innings in a row. I don't know what her pitch count was, but I can imagine. So I think that there's some you know, just some conversations. Like I said, it's not elbow. And so for the longest time, people are like, it's natural. It's more natural. It's just like, no, it's not. It just hurts different things. It doesn't hurt the elbow. (laughs) And sometimes it does. I would say like, there's, you know, definitely some forearm things. And when we're, when we're in that sort of position, we can like get some flare ups there. But for the most part, it's like, you can't, it's back, it's hip. It just doesn't hurt the same thing, but it's not natural. It's a really, really complicated movement that athletes at young ages literally cannot do without compensating in some way and so they're just they're not doing it right and so just because they're having success or whatever we ride them they are gonna get hurt and so you know I hope that it just keeps being talked about I hope that the college coaches experience of getting you know unhealthy athletes makes them put some pressure on the youth coaches of how they're using their athletes I I hope that youth athletes seek out good experiences where they feel like they can demand some, you know, workload thing. They don't need to be the pitcher that throws every inning. So I think that, I think there's a lot to it. We weed out pitchers, young ages and softball. It's not like baseball where everyone does it. So you can't just pull the shortstop in and they suddenly become the pitcher. So it's not, you know, it's a little different from those standards. So 
if all of a sudden you said like, here's the pitch count, then they'd be like, I don't have a pitcher now. Like we have to forfeit. So I think you had to do some thought around what that looks like. But I think you're starting to see bigger staffs at the college level. And so hopefully that concept of when you're seeing six to eight pitchers on a college staff, that's much bigger than we're used to. So the college coaches are talking about it, which I think hopefully trickles the youth game. But yeah, there's definitely a real issue there. I, I do have the same thing. People say it's natural, like walking as a human, yeah. school, throwing a softball, not so much. Yeah, with two turns and there's a lot of stuff going on. It's just like, it's pretty complicated actually, but yeah, not natural. Just not, not your arms, not out here. That's what, like people, like whenever they show it, they'll show like where the arm is in baseball. It's like, yeah, that's not happening, but there's a lot of, yeah, I'll show you some people doing some messed up things. And then you can say, tell me that that looks natural to you of how they're, how they're accomplishing what you're asking them to do is certainly not a natural or easy on the body. So you guys do hitting too, right? Yes, we do. I actually hit it as much as I talked about pitching. I do most of the hitting. So yeah, most of the hitting. So what's what? Okay, so I'm a hitting guy. I mean, I yeah, I'm pitching. I mean, I know enough to be dangerous, but that's about it. Yeah. What's it like on the hitting side? Is it still heavily remote, like it is on the pitching? We do both. We do in house, more in house hitting, honestly, and then and then our pitching is a little more lean towards the remote side more than in-house. But yeah, we do, it's a lot of same beliefs. We do overload, you know, different implements, a lot of constraint-led training. So I think the concepts overlap. We do the same assessment process. We're really focused on hitting the ball hard and where are the breakdowns for you to be able to do that? And what does that look like? And so how do we, same thing, use different implements to clean up the patterns that you swing with in the same way that you won't see a lot of like broken down things in pitching. You're not going to see a lot of broken down things in hitting I guess you have a lot of tees. We do some, but not a lot of tees. So I think just, you know, there's, once you sort of see this way of training, I think it applies to kind of everything. So you're just trying to think what is the hitting equivalent of a heavy bio, you know, or a, what does a heavy bat look like? What does a heavy bat cause the athlete to do? What are we trying to do from that standpoint? I I was scrolling through your, your Twitter page not, the, not that long ago. And I saw you had posted some, I guess, so I think your name is Katie Stewart. Yeah. It's 84 miles an hour exit view. Okay. Yeah, she's a thud. I mean, I was like, yeah. I think I saw she threw overhand 80 miles. 80, yeah. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, she's a thud. She's not a Texas. She's been with us for a really, really long time. So I've trained Katie since she was nine or 10. At that time, she was a pitcher, but she no longer is a pitcher. Yeah, she's a thud. And I think she goes to show, you know, she was always going to be gifted. So I, you know, I think we all certainly knew she was had some traits about her that were really special, but I think she's such a testament to just being in a very good model for a very long time. She's stayed healthy. She's been able to tap out. And I think it, you know, I always say like, I don't, I used to laugh with her. She was in eighth grade, she had 70. And that was the first time we had ever seen anyone throw 70 overhand. And we did some stuff with Austin Wasserman and he had the velo. That was the first time he had seen someone throw 70. Like it was such a big deal. She was in eighth grade. And so we would joke because I was like, okay, now your next goal is 75. And then she hit 75. And then I said, like, honestly, Katie, I don't know what your next goal is because I don't know if we know what we can do. You know, it's just like we haven't done the right things in softball. It's just like we think that feel that way with pitching, too, which is what can pitchers throw? What can what break can they do? We don't know because maybe we just haven't been training it right. And so when she hit 80, uh, everyone like she got like tackled and you know it was just like crazy and we laughed because i actually don't have that one on video so for the longest time i'd be like doesn't count i didn't video it so the ad she actually hits in the video it looks like she's like the most nonchalant person ever because you're just like 
tosses 80 and no one does anything, but it's because we were trying to get it actually on video. But so I always say to her, like, I don't, maybe you could throw 90. I, I have no idea. I just think that we've not seen people just train like this, you know? So she goes through phases just like anyone else where she's like, her swing needs a little cleaning up. And she could just like tap into something and she knows what to tap into. And she's just doing the right strength and conditioning. And then she's just, you know, it's pretty fun to watch. So I'm really excited to go ahead and check this. So we'll see what she does there. But I, she's just a fun, you know, case of long-term development, the right kind of development. She trains three times a week, every week, you know, super committed. And so it's been fun to watch her. Are, are those some of the highest numbers you've seen on the hitting side too? Exit velocity, 84? Yeah, I think we had, we actually had a hitter here that hit 87. So that was, that was the highest that we have in here. But I think when you're regular creeping in that 85, we only have a couple kids that have, we have probably four kids that have hit numbers like that. We hit, we'll get athletes to pop 80. I think the first, I know some people at the convention said like hitting 70 is the threshold. I think that will raise because I, I will say that we, when our kids train consistently in our program, all of our kids at 70 and it doesn't necessarily mean like, and then they're going to Texas. Like they're not necessarily that level kid, but I think if you're training with different bats, you see an exit below all the time. And I don't mean just like swinging off a tee going crazy, but they're doing it in real environments, off the machine, challenging environments. If they put it in an off season, a large, large majority of our kids can, can hit 70, you know, regularly, maybe not, it's not their average. So I think, for us, our number that we're chasing is 80 for our top kids. And it's like first hit 80. And then let's start like creeping your average. Like I think 68 would is pretty much the minimum number for like consistently putting the ball over the fence. And so we always say like our goal then would be to get your average as close to that as possible. And then to get your average as close to that as possible, you need to have the ability to pop an 80. So that's kind of our goal. Now, I think where, you know, Katie, even in the game, if I was measuring her, she probably most of her hits are sitting in the 70s. It's not like every time she's popping 84, but, but she lives in the upper 70s, which is, you know, is a high number. So I think, yeah, I don't think we've tapped into what hitters can do, which then will probably be a conversation about the bats at some point because we've seen composite bats. So it's a little scary when your pitcher lands 35 feet away and someone hits at 87 miles per hour, but, but I don't think we've we've fully tapped into that. If we can get some athletes focused on the right things and what it means to hit a ball harder than, and that type of thing. How many, how many total athletes do you work with? We're usually in the, like just over a hundred mark on any given time. So we're kind of in that, that range. We do some teams that we train and then we have our individual athletes. Although at the rates that we have been going the past four months, then I don't know, ask me to year. It might be a lot higher, hopefully. And we're starting to try to hire some coaches to go manage that. But yeah, that's kind of the, where we're living. Yeah, what, what, is, what is your vision for S2? Yeah, that's a great question. We just talked through this, but I think it's just, you know, what we always talk about is making an impact and growing the game. And I think for us to do that, we obviously want to work with as many athletes as we can. And so we are in the process of working to to hire to make sure that we can you know, cover the athletes and that we have pretty high standards for the product that we deliver to the athletes. And so, you know, we're starting to hit our thresholds of being able to deliver that. So we want to make sure we have the coaches to give a great product. But I think it's just one, making athletes. You know, I heard a couple of times at NFCA people say statements like maybe her ceiling's just not that high. And I think, you know, banning things like that from the existence to ever come out of someone's mouth would be a great step for what we're trying to do with softball, which is 
Like there are many ways that we have not tapped into yet what athletes can do on the supple side. And so giving athletes the vision to be able to take their journey into their own hands and, you know, the schedule limit and feel like it's not going to be easy and it's not a straight linear path and there's ups and downs, but we're kind of in the trenches with them there. So I think making them believe that, making coaches feel like they can facilitate that at all levels. So that's a lot of what we do. So, you know, really bringing those components into the game. So we, you know, just see the game continue to get better and better at every level. So I think that's the biggest vision and the way we do that is helping colleges, you know, coming into colleges and helping their programs facilitate that, you know, let them see, you know, a lot of the schools we work with are maybe they're power fives, but they're power fives that sometimes don't always win. And they've been able to like use this type of thing to make people to outperform people they shouldn't. So we really like that approach, obviously. And then I think, like I said, just being there for as many athletes as possible to really have the athletes experience what it feels like to have people all in on helping them get better. Awesome. Love that. Where, where's the best place for someone to, to get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you? Sure. You can just go to our website, s2breakthrough.com or s2 underscore breakthrough is our handle on any social media. So if you want to see videos and fun things, go to Instagram. If you want to hear us more talking, boring to coaches, maybe, I guess, depending on who you are, go to Twitter, but we are on all the platforms. And then Ashley also has, if you're really like pitching, Ashley has the podcast, Redefine the Circle. It's been on a bit of a hiatus while she was on the assessment world tour, but it's to be picking back up at the new year. That's a great place to go and just learn. She gives everything away. So if you want to really know what we do from a pitching side, she, she gives a lot of really cool knowledge to her podcast. Awesome. Well, Krista, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. It's awesome yeah. what you're doing. I I mean, I feel like I'm, I know a lot of people, I know on the baseball and softball side, hence having done over 280 of these. And I don't, I don't actually, I don't think I can think of anybody else in the softball private sector who's doing what, what you guys are doing, which I think is really cool. And, and hopefully it just continues to, to grow and grow and grow. You know, I'm definitely pulling for you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on.